This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Hello everyone, I'm Clint Yates coming to you today on iUniverse Radio. An interesting topic to talk about today as we dive into another book for you today, Christianity and the Cosmic Consciousness, a commentary on the words of Jesus is the title of the book we're going to talk about today. It's been written by Dr. Alexis Hohen, who joins us today on the iUniverse line. Hello, Dr. Hohen. How are you today? I am fine, thank you. How are you? I am I'm doing terrific. Well, let's dive right into this. It, just your title uh, really brings out some curiosity in me. Christianity and the Cosmic Consciousness. It's com- Christianity and Cosmic and consciousness. consciousness. A commentary on the words of Jesus. Tell us, a, give us just a thumbnail of, of what we're looking at in your book. Well, I uh, basically... Uh, uh, the, the the principal uh, idea here is that uh, uh, there were everything, uh, all dead and life, nature, and all of us as our innermost nature contain uh, the will to create, the will not only to be the way we are, but also to advance uh, creation. And uh, if this hadn't been the case, then uh, uh, the Big Bang could not have occurred, because there is some principle, some creative principle in the world that is universal, and that is our universal innermost nature. And if we realize that, if we realize that unity of everything that exists, and that we belong to it, we already have eternal life, and we also see the need to love each other. We realize our identity. And the words of Jesus guide us toward that goal uh, through preaching love and tolerance. And uh, uh, that, I believe, is the principle of Christianity. I do not contradict the dogmas of the Catholic Church or any other church, uh, because uh, what I'm writing here doesn't contradict uh, the teaching, doesn't contradict uh, the existence of a personal God, uh, but it just tries to interpret the word of Jesus uh, without assuming that there is a God ruling the world, although I personally believe that my life is somehow guided by a higher power. But this is not the subject of the book. Again, the name of the book we're talking about today is Christianity and Cosmic Consciousness. The author of the book, Dr. Alexis Owen, is on the iUniverse line with us. So why did you decide to to tackle this particular topic, Doctor? Well, because all my life I've been wondering, and I think most uh, uh, people uh, actually wonder about uh, what our life is all about and uh, what is the purpose of life and... uh, uh, where it leads us, 
And actually, if we realize uh, our innermost nature, uh, which unites all of us, uh, we realize that our main goal is fulfilling this innermost nature. And uh, this is what I was trying to express uh, by writing the book. And uh, actually to satisfy my own desire to understand what life is all about. Now, is there any how-to in this, Doctor, of, of how you accomplish this or how you begin this in your lifestyle? Well, I've been uh, thinking about it uh, for about 50 years. In fact, uh, uh, a friend said, oh, you published a book. How long did it take you to write it? Well, I said 50 years about. But as far as like the individual that picks up the book, are we going to find some, I mean, I, I understand the concept that you're talking about, I think, but is there some how-to of how to apply that to to your life or to an individual's life? In their own life, I think uh, no matter what uh, they are, uh, uh, the, the, their individual goals and problems are, I, I think uh, that they all uh, uh, want uh, to uh, love and they all uh, want to create something and leave something behind. And uh, I think uh, the book uh, kind of explains that uh, uh, the particular desire of everybody. And I, I think that uh, in this book I talk about uh, the innermost uh, human nature, uh, the desire to love and to create, and I compare the human nature with a beam of light that has to proceed according to what it is. But, of course, it is... Uh, uh, reflected and slowed down uh, by the media through which it passes. In the same way, our life, our ultimate goal is uh, this uh, love and creativity, and this is what is basically taught by Jesus. Uh, but we certainly encounter many obstacles. I think our uh, listeners today would be interested to know that you were actually born in Ukraine, educated in Munich, then came to the United States where you finished your education and practiced medicine. So you've kind of had a, a global kind of experience, as you as you mentioned, 50 years of putting this book yes, together. Yes, I was in, uh, born in, in Odessa in the Ukraine, and uh, I uh, uh, was indoctrinated there. This was uh, in the Stalin era, and uh, I was indoctrinated with atheism. Uh, and uh, about how wonderful communism was. And then, of course, uh, I couldn't quite believe all that because my father was arrested and, uh, and, and shot. And that's a long story. There were 17 million people, uh, innocent, mostly arrested like that. And uh, then after uh, the German occupation, my mother and I went to live with relatives in Germany. And so I was indoctrinated there with... Uh, uh, national Socialism, and then, of course, the war ended, and uh, a new era started, and I uh, was now exposed to all the benefits of uh, freedom and democracy, and then we came to the United States, and so I've been exposed to many different political systems, and uh, uh, I was exposed to different religious denominations, because I uh, personally was... Uh, baptized Lutheran, but uh, my mother was uh, uh, 
Russian Orthodox, and uh, then I became Catholic uh, when I uh, came to the United. Uh, when I got married, so uh, I've been exposed to many <coughs> different political systems and uh, religious views, and uh, it certainly makes you wonder and makes you try to find some common bond between all these things. Do you think, Doctor, somewhere in there, this is kind of an open-ended question, but does religion, in your view, fall short in any particular place when it comes to these ideas that you have in your book? Well, yes. I think that uh, particularly what I uh, find uh, uh, in the Catholic Church, I attend uh, church, and uh, uh, we proclaim uh, uh, the uh, faith, uh, they are confession of faith, and uh, it is full of all kinds of uh, natural events that uh, we're supposed to believe in and uh, uh, may well be justified in believing in, but uh, there is nothing about uh, uh, loving your neighbor and uh, uh, sacrificing uh, uh, to your neighbor and uh, uh, I think uh, there is definitely something lacking, and I think that the new pope has actually said that uh, when he said that uh, uh, caring for other people is more important than the dogmas uh, that the church pronounces. So is this for an individual? Do you find a place that maybe the church can turn its thinking, or is it just uh, so well, many yes, centuries of religion? It might be able to turn its thinking. There has been, of course, uh, there have been movements within the church, like liberation theology, that has uh, uh, tried to uh, uh, in, get involved politically to become more socially conscious. I, I think that's very important, but uh, I mean, I, I have no idea. Things change very slowly, you know, in all organizations. <laughs> yeah, that that is very true. Well, what is it that you hope if someone hears this today, finds some interesting ideas that you have, when they pick up Christianity and cosmic consciousness, what is it you hope that they may walk away with? Well, I think with a more uh, with a deeper understanding of uh, of, of Christianity, and uh, I, uh, of course, uh, uh, Christian uh, teachings have been distorted a lot. Uh, one of the big problems has been that uh, uh, the person of Christ uh, has been kind of separated from uh, from his teachings, and. Uh, uh, for example, uh, several years back, you could read that Christians, uh, uh, those were, uh, I, I believe, uh, uh, Syrian phalangists, uh, uh, they, they were, they considered themselves Christians, but they slaughtered all these Muslims in a refugee camp. Uh, so this was an act by Christians, because they identified themselves with Christ, but not certainly not with his teachings. So I think that uh, if that reading this book, uh, people uh, maybe will understand that what Christ teaches, and especially uh, the sacrifice that he brings, uh, is uh, is an example for us uh, uh, to love our neighbor and uh, that all the other things uh, that uh, 
churches teach, uh, many of them may well be true, uh, but they're not the essence of Christian teaching. So you mentioned this a little bit in the beginning. I don't think you're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not trying to fly in the face of traditional religion or traditional church, but try to supplement the thinking? Is that is that your aim here? Yes, I think so. I, I, I think so. I think uh, that uh, would be the correct term, is uh, supplement the thinking. There is one thing, however, that uh, uh, I... Uh, I think that uh, may be a little bit different uh, in my attitude and what I am trying to tell is that uh, uh, the church is uh, very much teaching that Christ died in order to uh, pay for our original sin. And uh, I really doubt uh, that uh, there is such a thing as an original sin and I am uh, more inclined to believe that there is an original fault that we cannot avoid, uh, namely that we're all one, uh, that we're all part of uh, the whole, and yet we are apart. Every individual necessarily is somehow opposed to other individuals. I mean, uh, uh, the space I occupy, nobody else can occupy. Uh, the, the, the air I breathe, uh, nobody else can breathe. Uh, I have to destroy at least plants and uh, most people like myself, animals, in order to eat. Uh, and sooner or later, you are in conflict with some other person. And that's unavoidable. Uh, so this is our main problem. And uh, Jesus, by sacrificing himself, shows us that the way out of this isolation is sacrifice. And that's I think, is a very important of Christianity that is, I think, more important than payment for this original sin of Adam. So one question before we begin to wrap up. You told me earlier before we before we started that you've written a couple of short stories, but this is really your first book endeavor, I guess, for the uh, lack of a right. better term. How difficult was it, especially with uh, such an intriguing topic, to get your thoughts and get everything written? You've already told us of 50 years in the making, but I know you had to sit down with, with typewriter and our computer not so long ago and put this all together. Right, right. Well, I don't think it was too difficult. I just, uh, uh, I, I, I could collect my thoughts pretty well. I had, I've been preparing for it for a long time. Again, the name of the book we've been talking about today is Christianity and Cosmic Consciousness, a commentary on the words of Jesus by Dr. Alexis Hohen, who's been with us today on the IE Universe line. So I know it's available in several places. Doctor, tell us where we could find uh, more information about the, about the book. Well, I think that uh, on the, uh, it's available through the outlets like Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble, uh, that's uh, one thing I know. It's also available through iUniverse, uh, uh, and uh, I don't know if it's available in bookstores right now. I hope that it will be. Again, the book, Christianity and Cosmic Consciousness, a commentary on the words of Jesus. Dr. 
Alexis Hohen has been with us today. Your first book, Doctor, What is there anything else on the burner? Are you thinking about uh, putting uh, thoughts on the paper for any other topic? Well, actually, I was uh, writing, uh, actually pleasing myself. I don't even <laughs> know if I would publish it about uh, the miracles uh, of, uh, of, of, of Jesus. Uh, first of all, uh, their likelihood uh, based on natural facts to begin with, and, and secondly, uh, uh, their symbolic meaning, which I think is very important and uh, uh, not thought about enough. Well, that sounds interesting as well. Dr. Hohen, thanks for being with us. Again, the name of the book, Christianity and Cosmic Consciousness, a commentary on the words of Jesus. Uh, it's available again at iUniverse. And Dr. Hohen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, too. Thank you. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Today, an interesting book, something a little different from what I have interviewed in the past. Of the 1,100 authors, I've not had a book like this, titled Dancing for Fun, Group Dancing for All Ages, Book One, and our authors, who is also a music composer, and his spouse, uh, who is a choreographer. This is Mark L. Greathouse and Helena Greathouse. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Uh, Your book is a fun adaptation of something not many communities they used to have uh, community dances community get-togethers little opportunities for neighbors and friends to get together and just enjoy the activity of dancing as a musical expression and also as an exercise how long have you uh, individuals been involved in the dance uh, field well that's a good question Uh, you know my field is actually music, but Helena's is the area of dance and gymnastics. So I'll let mm. her say a few words about that. Well, I have been involved since I was five years old. Five years old, and you are originally from Oregon. No, I heard it was someplace else. I am originally, it used to be Czechoslovakia when I was born there. Now it is Czech Republic, and I was born in Prague, the capital of Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic. In growing up, were you primarily focused on gymnastics, as many people in the that part of uh, what now is, is Europe, or, or was it dance and exercise and gymnastics? Well, 
I actually started in dance, first um, classical ballet, then I switched to modern dance, like Isadora Duncan style. Actually, my, my teacher was a personal pupil of Isadora Duncan. And then later I, I switched to gymnastics when I was 12. And then I competed until I was 24. Did you compete at any of the Olympics or any major tournaments that would have involved the United States? Well, when I was competing, I was competing in rhythmic gymnastics. And when I was competing, the, the sport was not yet in Olympics. Ah. Um, so I, I was competing on national level and international. I mean, when, when I was in, then I, I studied in West Germany for one year. So I was competing there, there also. But that um, during my competitive years, it wasn't yet in Olympics, but it became later. And then and I was an international judge later. Uh, Mark, Mark, you uh, have had a long career in music. Share a little of your background and what inspired you to compose specific dance music for this book, for this publication. Well, you know, um, actually my father was a teacher of accordion and banjo, guitar, and so forth. And on my fifth birthday, I got a birthday present, which was an accordion. And so ever since then, uh, accordion was really my musical world. And I studied it pretty intensely up through my high school years and uh, won a few awards. But, you know, what usually happens uh, after high school, you know, you get, you go into your, you go to university or you have family or whatever. And so I I never really uh, left the accordion, but uh, I was always interested in music and uh, I'd say about, uh, and also I got interested in piano probably about 10 years ago or so. And I met a lady nearby who writes musicals, and uh, she uh, plays the piano and whatever. And she actually inspired me, knowing that I like to compose melodies, she inspired me to um, write down my melodies mm. and uh, create uh, dance music. She thought many of the songs that I was writing and compositions uh, lent themselves to dance. And so that's really how it started, how this book started. I started, I wrote the music, and uh, I, I'm not a dancer myself, but of course I knew one who, who my wife, who knows all about dance and choreography, and so uh, that's we kind of joined forces and, and wrote the book. In 2001, you and Helena uh, started or formed a group or a true, I guess a duo, the Great House of Music. What type of venues did you perform at and what style of music did you pursue? Well, let's see. That That's a good question. We, uh, we've we always had, for example, Czech and Slovak folk music. We already did that when we were at the university t- together in Hamburg. Wonderful. Yeah, we, we, all, we kind of started out with the Czech, since Helena is originally from former Czechoslovakia. Um, Czech and Slovak music kind of attracted us, but we decided that we would expand into other kinds of music, uh, mu- uh, well-known melodies from musicals, and we got into ethnic music, you know, German, Russian, Spanish, 
and your own. And, of course, my own music, too. Oh. So we've done programs around the Portland area um, yeah. since that time, uh, doing all these different genres of music. And then uh, we also did uh, several, many programs, really, overseas in Czech Republic and Germany, even in Brazil. We did one, mm. uh, a couple. And, America's Got Talent. And we were on, well, yeah, Helena's reminding me, we were on America's Got Talent. We made, really? Uh, I guess we made it around there. To, to the judges' round, yeah. Judges round. In 2010, we were on America's Got Talent. Incredible. So. Describe for me and for my listeners your book. This is an unusual, an unusual format. It is different from most, again, as most of the books I, I interview authors about. It's usually a storyline and, a you know, an ending your book is set up differently. Helena, explain for us how the book is designed and how it's assembled. And then, Mark, if you don't mind, because many people have not heard a talented accordion player or someone that plays anything but polka music. If you could grab your, uh, if you could get a hold of your your accordion, your instrument, and share a couple of bars from one of your favorite tunes you've created, that would be helpful. After Helena. Uh, explains the format of the book. Sure, that's fine. Well, the the book is so that there is a description of one da- dance after other. It is choreographed and it is described. We have videos on YouTube, so it is. And these are group dances, but on YouTube they are dem- demonstrated by one dan- dancer. So it is practically description of what you see on YouTube. And, and plus, of course, it is written there uh, how the group starts in which formation and how the formations change during the dance and how, how, they, how they end and, and so on. And it is there is. And then in, in so uh, the, 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 there is, there are ten dances, Mark, in the first book. Ten dances in, in the first book. And um, in the end, there is twelve. Twelve, sorry. There are twelve dances in, in, in the... I'm speaking about first book because we have like, another book coming. Beautiful. Continuation. So, and in the end, there is glossary of, of the terms which people might not understand the ones people who are not involved in dance. Sure. So it is, in uh, the end, there is glossary, and then in the text of the dances, all the terms which are in glossary are underlined. So if you see an underlined expression, you go to the glossary, and you see what it means. There is a description. Very, very thorough, and just to give my listeners an idea, if, for example, on the first tune or first melody that is uh, that is included in the book, it tells you that the key signature is 2-4 two, time, and introduction is 8 measures, and then measure 1 through 8, start in circle holding hands facing the center of the circle, spread out to begin allowing space for arms to stretch downward. Then hold the formation for the first phase of the music, 8 measures, as an introduction. So it's a step-by-step. If you are careful and follow instruction, if you follow instructions well, then you too can have a group dance, and everyone can participate. And besides that, I omitted to say that the sheet music is also, actually each dance first is the sheet music printed, so if you have a pianist, they can play it. Wonderful. Or any other musician. Wonderful. Mark? That is the description. 
Yes, Mark, can you can you share can you share a little of one of your music creations, please? Well, uh, how about the very first one in the book? It's called River Flow. Love that. And this is, you know, they're all fairly simple songs, but they're melodic. It's beautifully done. Thank you, Mark, for sharing that. That is a uh, a beautiful tune on its own, let alone the dance instructions and others that go with it. Um, just as an aside, Mark, have you released a, a, a musical accompaniment to the book? Well, actually, uh, the, there will be um, a, a music available just alone, like a, a um, mus- almost like a audio book. Okay. That should accompany it. it isn't quite at this point yet completed. But it will be soon. It will be soon, and that way people will actually be able to download or listen to the music itself. Uh, of course, they can also watch the dancer, but, you know, that's... Well, then you, can, you can have the, uh, the YouTube on and dance with the dancer, but the, the music as such will be very soon. Will will be separate. That's available. great, great, great. Who did you want to to reach with your book? What was your your audience that you thought would would love dancing for fun? Well, you know, this is uh, there's kind of a subtitle to it. It's group dancing for all ages. Right. So since these dances are uh, relatively easy to do, uh, homeschoolers, for example, could use this. Uh, all the way to people living in senior living facilities, assisted living. You know, there's a there's no particular age group that this is limited to. We had a kindergarten teacher here in Oregon using it for her classes. Mm-hmm. Very know, good. Schools can use it, whatever. They're they're not traditional dances, Latin or ballroom. They're more folk related. Well, you know, they're we describe them as. We could say folk-inspired contemporary dances with creative choreography. They're, they're not traditional dances. They're not Latin or ballroom. Right. And they really don't allow for any improvisation. They're not tutorials. Uh, they're not uh, meant to be exercise videos or anything like that. They're just they're, they're dances involving interaction with partners, you know, following a prescribed pattern. Uh-huh. Helena, in, in addition to performing, you also have uh, some other credentials. What are those? Well, I was judging the sport of rhythmic gymnastics. I judged for 29 years, and most of that internationally. And I judged three world championships in, in 1989, 92, and 96. Then Goodwill Games in 1990, Pan American Games in 97. And I was on the judging team for two Olympics, 84 and 96. Those are great credentials. 
Mark, you've done a wonderful job composing the music, and anyone that has an interest in music, whether they want to uh, create a a dance group or a a group for dancing, would enjoy your book just for the music itself. But in addition to that, you have the benefit of getting the choreography from Helena, which also is a great benefit. Where do my listeners get a copy of Dancing for Fun? Well, uh, they can go to the uh, iUniverse.com website or... Uh, the major online bookstores, you know, Amazon, iTunes, Barnes & Noble, they can get it that way as well. And through our own website, uh, which is greathouseofmusic.com. So there are different places you can go. And, and maybe we know. should also say that it can be used um, for piano students. Yeah, people because can. the sheet music is there. So if you are not interested in dancing and just playing, the, just the sheet music alone, you know, now you the can sheet, use that. So. Sheet music alone is worth the price of admission. So, listeners, get a copy of the book if you enjoy music or enjoy dance or enjoy just a music that will cheer you up. CD or the audio portion of this will be released in the near future so you can get in contact with both Mark and with Helena and discover what's next on the schedule and what's next to be released. Thank you for asking us to be on this, Jay, and we really appreciate it. Have enjoyed it very much. Remember, the name of the book, again, is Dancing for Fun, Group Dancing for All Ages, Book One. The arranger and author, Mark L. Greathouse, and spouse, Helena Greathouse, thank you again for joining me today. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled A Teacher's Tale, a memoir. And our author, Dr. Joe Gilliland, joins me from Arizona. Joe, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you very much. This is an extensive read for a memoir. Some people have little to say about their life. You have 624 pages. I don't think that's bad, but that's an extensive uh, bit of material that you have shared with us. Why is your well, life... Well, I may have overstated my case. On the other hand, I did spend a lot of hours trying to cut it down. Really? So that's why I cut it into two volumes. There's part two will follow uh, shortly, maybe this year. And... Uh, that's the case, because after all, I didn't begin my, well, I began my teaching career in 1950, mm. and I taught until last year, I was teaching as a classroom teacher, so I'm 88 years old now, and I'm still at it 
So as a result, I piled up a lot of stuff to put in a memoir. Well, my question is, how did you remember all of those details and all of those stories that you could share? You got the right question, because that's the one question my family's been asking me since I can remember. <laughs> uh, I have been either blessed or cursed with a very, very sharp, uh, good memory about details of things that have happened. But uh, if I have a chance, I can explain. I grew up in a family that told tales constantly and then mm. talked. It's a, raised in East Texas, a southern tradition, sitting down at the table and people telling stories about themselves, about everything they've seen. And so I got into the habit of it when I was very young, and it was simply, the, to me, the normal course of events was to yak away on tell stories. To do that, you have to remember something to talk about. That's what happened, I guess. You also carry in your book many early photos. Uh, having been able to keep track of those is also a challenge. How did you do so? Well, it's friends and family uh, send things to me, and I uh, have I became interested in photography very early and went back and made sure that the old family photographs were uh, somewhere that I could reach, and that's the earliest photographs were uh, from uh, I think of. Uh, a niece or cousin or someone that sent them to me. So that helps. When you have a family that uh, furnishes you the material, you can't help it. As an educator, what was your uh, primary focus in education? Who did you or what did you teach? Well, that's, that's a good question, too. I had never intended to become a teacher. That's one, of the, that's one of the points of my memoir. And one of the reasons I felt I wanted to tell the story uh, I, I began my real interest was in science. I, I was going to major in chemistry, but after my freshman year, I felt that was not my calling, and I became interested in a general area of what we call nowadays uh, the humanities. And that was back in the uh, 1940s, that term was uh, rarely used uh, in academia. And so, but uh, I was always a reader. It was largely due to my. Uh, sisters, uh, books were thrust at me, and I read. And reading books, uh, I, I used to read extensively. I'm not quite as prolific in my readers, in my reading as I was. I wish I was, but... Um, well, it, it takes time. <laughs> it, ta- it takes time. It takes focus. I am one of those persons that is uh, very creative, and that inhibits my ability to focus sometimes. Well, I- I, I understand that. I, I, I developed an interest in literature through my sisters, as I said, and the fact that they would tell me about their classes in school. They were they were they were ahead of me in school for several years, and so I always hungered uh, for those opportunities to read the way they did, and I, I was very disappointed, actually, in high school. I stuck with science until my freshman year in college, and then I... Uh, began to change, and I developed an interest in the, in the broad area of the humanities, mostly literature and some uh, philosophy. Uh, and then, when I lived in New York City after I graduated from the, the University of Texas, uh, I became deeply influenced by my sister, who was in the publishing business, and my brother, who was uh, studying to be an actor. And so, the arts and humanities became an integral part of all my interests at that time. And I became an English teacher to begin with, and then shifted into the uh, interdisciplinary world of humanities 
uh, music, art, and uh, literature and philosophy. And that became my uh, passion the last uh, 50 years of my teaching. And that sounds like, you know, a crazy person, the last 50 years. Well, I started teaching in 1950. 1950. So it, this, this, has been, this has been really the world that I'm most interested in, and it's been the world that I'm most successful in. So I, it, it works, uh, it's worked for me very much. And that memory that you spoke of and the ability to tell tales uh, actually enhanced my teaching a great deal. Your book, A Teacher's Tale, really is your story. Most authors, when they pen a, a memoir, are targeting maybe family members, extended family members. Yeah. This goes beyond that because of not only the contents and the quantity of information, but would you call it almost a novel the way you have uh, structured it? Well, I, I want to thank you for saying that. That's, that. To me, as a teacher of literature, to say that, that's a high compliment, really. But uh, it, it is, uh, maybe it's fictionalized. I do use a lot of dialogue. Most of it is pretty accurate from memory. Uh, a good deal of it has to be uh, improvised, as you can imagine. Sure. But I, I do want to shape, I, I did hope, i put it that way, I did ho- hope to shape it in such a way that it, it told a story with, with uh, characters in it. And I'm the, the fact is it's a memoir. It's the main character. It is not a family story. There are there are episodes or explanations about certain events that took place, but it's it it, it does concentrate on my life, and because of the uh, unique, rather unusual way I uh, went about becoming a teacher, uh, I I loved school. Now there's a there's an epigraph I use at the very beginning. It, and it, I took it from a, uh, another writer. It says, I, uh, I, I did not want to leave college when I graduated. And I, was, uh, I wanted to stay so badly that I became a college professor. <laughs> that was the way I could end up my life is the, and fulfill my aspirations. And I wrote my sister one time that when I was in the Army, uh, in the occupation of Germany, uh, 1945, I can remember that. I wrote her and told her that when I got out, I was going to back to the University of Texas, and I thought I would never leave. And I just said that. And the letter that she responded, she says, well, I've all often thought of becoming a teacher, too. Well, that's mm. not what I said. But from that point on, that lingered in my mind as a possibility of a life, and that's what happened. So I, there's, a, there's a passage in Henry IV, Part One, where uh, the, Warwick says... Uh, I didn't intend to, he didn't intend to be a rebel. He didn't intend to rebel. It, uh, and Falstaff uh, mentions off to a side. He says, yes, it, he found it in his path, and he took it. And so, in other words, I, I stumbled on teaching, and I followed that path. And, I, and I've, been, uh, I've been happy about it ever since. And that's why the story is so detailed. I want to re- bring all those ideas out. Uh, mainly to entertain myself as much as anything, but um, the people who know me uh, encourage me to do so. Which of the reflections do you think is the most satisfying when you look back on your memoir and A Teacher's Tale? That's a good question. And, and uh, there are many of them, but I think, I think the, the one that I remember the most was the, the teacher that made me think about doing this job. And I was just a freshman, and as I said, I was majoring in chemistry at the time. I thought I was. 
And I, I, I took an anthropology course, and the man's name was J. Gilbert McAllister, and he startled me with the information and the ideas that he had. And his method of teaching, he claimed, was education by irritation. Mm-hmm. And, and he did. He irritated the daylights out of all of us. And, uh, and as a result, he said, if you're irritated enough, you'll, fi- you'll do everything you can to find me wrong, and then you're lost you'll start teaching yourself. And that's what happened. And I've tried to perpetuate that idea. And at that moment in his class, uh, I remember when I left, I had a friend who was sitting next to me, and I said, that was a stroke of genius, whatever he said, because he's really set us on fire. And it turned out he set a lot of people on fire in those days. And J. Gilbert McAllister later on became one of the great uh, figures at, on that campus. Well, I, while I was there for many years after. And so that, that's, if that, I think that tries to answer your question, that that moment had a great deal to do with it. And then when I think about it, I keep flying back to that period, and that's what happens. I, I keep celebrating it, really. And that's what, in fact, uh, McAllister is one of the men to whom I've um, dedicated the book, is to J. Gilbert McAllister because of that, that event. Which, which, I didn't make very good grades in this class, by the way, and I think the readers should, or the listener, your, your listeners <laughs> should know that grades are important to a certain extent, but up to a certain point, they really are important. It's what you learn and what you can use and what you uh, give to other people is important. And McAllister believed in that, too. Uh, that I, I did have a conflict with him one time, not a very important one, he had graded one of my papers very, very low because of the answer, and I reread it, and I thought he was wrong, and I asked him to read it. But I waited until after all the grades were in, and there was no chance of altering the grade. And he read it, and he said, yes, you're, you're probably right. And I said, well, Dr. McAllister, I was using irony. And he said, yes, and students are not supposed to use irony. Professors <laughs> are. <laughs> so he laughed about it, but didn't offer to change the grade, and I didn't ask him. And I walked away with my head in the clouds because we had had a real conversation about a major point of teaching, and I've used that point all my life. Was his advice perhaps some of the most powerful that you received as a student or as a young person? That's right. That's what it was. And an impact. And I listened to it so much, and that was reinforced by friends who uh, had had him as a professor also because we told his stories all the time. And my having that conversation with him uh, really put a stamp on my uh, memory. I, I, I could never forget it. Joe, how long did it take you to uh, recreate or to remember and put into print all of the details of this first edition, A Teacher's Tale? Well, Jay, you asked the right questions. You know that? That's very good. Because it took about 15 years. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I started writing it shortly after I retired from uh, formal full-time teaching, and that was in 1988. I uh, I was writing it longhand on the legal pad, and then I decided to change it, put it into TypeScript, and I'm a very poor typist. And I have a, had a very good electric typewriter that I'd given my daughter when she was in graduate school, and I was working on it, but still there were too many strikeovers, too many mistakes. So then I decided I had to learn how to use a computer, and I got, that was about 1990, mm. and that's when I le- began to learn how to uh, 
use a, key, a real keyboard. And I began taking notes at that point. And uh, then, seriously, I began, as I said, to put it down into a book form about 15 years ago. And uh, then it was very difficult to find anybody interested in this kind of story uh, they, because they said it's just, it was just too, uh, too narrow because it was too much me. And I said, well, I'm writing it for me anyway and for my children and my <laughs> grandchildren and now great-grandchildren. And I'm writing it for friends that I've grown up with and uh, talked with. And that's when I say grown up, I grew up in my teaching is what I did in my uh, physical self. But anyway, I, I tried to get some people interested and most of them were not. But then one very, very close friend, a young man I had mentored when he was uh, just beginning to teach, he had published 24 books before he retired. And he said, told me, he said, you get on to this and you, and you publish it yourself mm -hmm. or find somebody. Well, I read across iUniverse and it, it sounded like the kind of organization that would accept this sort of thing. <laughs> and I was able to get and I did my preface, I, I point that out. Uh, Krista Hill is my, my editorial consultant. She was a whole lot like this fellow, Howard DeWitt. She kicked me around and put, prodded me and focused me and kept me on it. And I, I, when I finally got connected with a publisher like iUniverse, and so far, it's, it's their, it, I've put it this way, Jay, uh, this book is their fault. <laughs> because... They wouldn't. Uh, she wouldn't give up on. Wouldn't me. give up on you. This is a, this is a great read, Joe. You've done a, a fascinating job of telling not only your story, but there are some underlying themes and morals to your story, yeah. which uh, should should in, interest the reader. The title again is a teacher's tale, a memoir. Joe Gilliland has been my guest. Joe, where do we get copies of your book? Well, it's available on the on Amazon.com, Libris.com. Uh, BarnesNoble.com, I guess, and it's a, it's also available in Kimball. In fact, I've already had a niece that has written me. She she got the Kimball uh, edition right off when I when uh, I told her the told them the book was out, it would be available, and she's already written me uh, about her reaction. So it is uh, it, those those are the three main places that, and then you could of course get it directly from my universe. It's just now getting into some bookstores in my part of the country, and I don't know what they'll do with the rest of it. But I think this conversation we're having is going to help some people. <laughs> I think they <laughs> should become them. interested, absolutely. And you have a, a follow-up book in the works. Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually it's almost the final draft ready to be sent for the editor to chop it up and tell me what I'm doing wrong. But it's <laughs> called, and it's part two, and it begins when I begin teaching in the community college in Texas, and it's called The Pleasures and Perils of Academe. And the perils are the, are the conflicts that I uh, have, and uh, as any uh, instructor uh, has at that level, with uh, other colleagues, with administrators, with boards of trustees, with the general public, because to be a good teacher, I think you have to irritate. You, you follow that? <laughs> I certainly irritate a lot of people. Just ask my wife. Yes. <laughs> Joe, well, good for you. Joe, That's good visiting with you. Thank you for sharing your story and the uh, wonderful 
way you have presented this. Again, the book is A Teacher's Tale, a memoir. Joe Gilligland has been my guest. Sir, thank you for joining me today. And thank you very much. Bye-bye. For, for iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.